Welcome to the Rural Leaders Podcast, brought to you by Scottish Enterprise. I'm your host, Jane Craigie. Once a month, we will bring you an interview with one of the 650 people strong alumni from the Rural Leadership Programme. Um, A very warm welcome to our next Rural Leaders podcast, which comes to you from the Scottish borders today. So our recent In Conversation with Rural Leaders has headed to Peelham Farm, a 650-acre organic family-run business in Berwickshire, where Denise Walton and her son Angus, who have both been through the Rural Leadership Programme, have welcomed many of us to find out more about what is going on through the farm and through their own on-site butchery. So Denise, uh, give us a little bit of a background to what goes on at Peelham Farm. What what do you do and what's the makeup there? Good morning. So 650 acres organic and pasture for life. So that's where we are at the moment. We've also got an on-farm butchery. So we sell direct from our farm online. So the farm itself is, we're predominantly beef, though we take in mutton flocks for our mutton sales. We take a new cull ewe flocks um, onto the farm and we'll keep them for um, up to three or four months um, to go into our butchery. We did used to breed sheep, but for various reasons, not least the experience of beasts from the East in 2018, we decided to sell our clean ewes and put the money into a bigger um, Aberdeen Angus herd, organic Aberdeen Angus herd at the time. So there were three, I mean, we're a family partnership. Um, there's my husband, Chris, myself, our son, and my daughter-in-law, Helen, uh, that we run the farm business. Helen is busy uh, running two toddlers at the moment, which is all power for the course, really. We've come to visit you as one of our in-conversation events, as I said earlier, and you've taken us to see various different sites across the farm. We're looking at sort of the grass lays and hearing about 60 different species, and we've gone up to see the forestry. Talk us through a little bit of the layout of the farm. So for those who aren't able to attend, obviously the, the first field, I, we took you into that, um, not just because it's an um, kind of an undersown lay, it's a grassland. You know, we've already taken a whole crop silage off it. It's now being grazed by cows and calves, but also are moving slowly into other diversification on the farm. And we held an ecotourism event on the farm. And that field actually in terms of productivity, had a third important product in that it gave us the space and ground to actually set up small pens for horses staying up to three nights on the farm. You know, every field has the option for an enterprise. And that's another reason why we see the benefit of splitting our fields up into smaller fields, because it actually gives us a greater option for diversification. The second location was a field that we ploughed and sown down to species-rich long-term grassland. And that was really to stimulate discussion, the pros and cons of ploughing and min-till. And for us, long-term, seven to ten-year grass rotations, we feel the ploughing actually is, at the moment, the really the only way we can re-sow grassland clean. And obviously, we can't use glyphosate because we're organic. So but we have long rotations for that reason. I then walked you all with my husband and our son, walked you through the devastation that was Storm Arwen. So we lost a thousand trees in the space of about four hours from a mature beach in Sycamore Woodland. And uh, the devastation was really 
is shocking for us. It is actually regenerating. We didn't see much regeneration when we walked through it. But what we were able to see then is we walked through the woodland into a deferred grassland, um, which is sort of, will be for deferred grazing, what well, was deferred grazing and has been uh, is now will be for silage. And one of our hedgerows, so we got a nature restoration fund um, grant to plant 11 kilometres of hedgerows, including three of our neighbours. And this was a field that we've split up here at Peelham from a 20-acre field into two 10-acre fields. It was to show you the hedge, how we've planted it, how we've protected it, how we've mulched it, but also to demonstrate how it's going to work with our rotational mob grazing system with our cattle. And we're not going to cut the hedges. The cattle are actually going to trim them for us. And that gives them a lot, of, you know, we give them tannin and trace elements. And so that was broadly the tour, lots of discussion. And then a slow walk back for lunch and more discussions over lunch. That was the, the day. Denise, it was quite interesting to hear the various different conversations during the day on, on climate and biodiversity, which is obviously what we were theming the event. You couldn't but not hear the endless different sounds of different birds calling across the trees and the hedgerows. How important is biodiversity and what have you been doing to sort of enhance that on the farm? Biodiversity is absolutely critical. It is integral to our business. So my background as an ecologist and when we first came in to farming as new entrant smallholders in 1989 on 20 acres, it was always my intention and vision that we should farm ecologically. It has this, it was more pragmatic on the financial side of things. So we just had to balance the two. But biodiversity is integral, not just because of my personal interest in it, but it is key to managing the um, climate crisis. Without biodiversity, we don't have functioning ecosystems. Without functioning ecosystems, we simply cannot manage water vapour and carbon. Water vapour, incidentally, is, is as important as carbon in our management of climate change. And one of the other conversations that came up was around pasture for life and the cattle. And we've talked about climate, obviously, it's quite a, a hot topic when it comes to cattle. Why have you moved to a pasture for life system and, and how's that helping the business? So moving to a pasture for life system was immediately attractive when I found out about it for two reasons. First of all, I, and obviously in discussion with my husband and son, love the thought of resilience, so being completely independent of outside influences, if you like, um, in terms of business. And we were moving more and more to a completely livestock system and being able to graze our own grass was very attractive. And also it was very clear to me that of the biodiversity benefits. So first of all, sort of the greater resilience and biodiversity improvement of the way grassland is grazed on a rotational mob system. And then once I'd sort of looked into it a bit more, could see that there were there was potential in being able to fatten on grass that's when he moved and also I just felt that we were obviously selling direct organically but I felt at the time we needed to have another string to our bow to demonstrate the environmental and the, the sort of our approach to farming sustainably and I wanted to strengthen if you like the environmental benefits of the way we farm and pasture for life is a certification assurance system and we're audited for it and that just gives another string to our bow in terms of demonstration to customers our economic so our ecological credentials. Obviously, you've got the butchery on site, and that was a conversation for some of the group that came on Monday. Do you find that the pasture for life is helping you enhance the marketing and the promotion around the butchery? Do you do you see an increase in sales as a result? Yes, yes, absolutely. So organic pasture life is sort of, an, a, if you like, a gold standard in agroecological farming. Obviously, we have people who ask for environmentally friendly meat production. 
but pasture for life, we have a lot of people who will only eat meat that has never been fed grain for health as well as environmental issues. So the combination of organic and pasture for life, that double certification has very definitely increased our market traction for what we're selling. It's a very important element. We have chefs who buy from us who actually love the fact that we only feed grass and they put it on their menus. We've also been involved in a a Newcastle-upon-Tyne University trial in the relationship between nutrient density and meat from grass. And certainly all grass improves nutrient density, especially in the omega-3 levels. So all of that helps our marketing. I don't know how you fit everything in, Denise. You're a very busy lady. And then on top of that, you volunteer and do all sorts of things off the farm. Well, yes, I'm Scottish Chair of the Nature Farming Friendly Network, which I really love. It's really, there's a great, we've got a great steering group and a great team. And I work closely with our sustainable farming lead, Kirsty Tate, who's brilliant. And I is thinking actually about doing the rural leadership course. I really enjoy that. I enjoy lobbying. I enjoy the policy side. But also I enjoy speaking directly about basically methods of changing that don't affect livelihood. So I'm also working with a peer-to-peer farmer group on biodiversity and profitability. So if we talk about biodiversity, you can't talk about biodiversity with, you know, in a vacuum from a farming point of view. We need to talk about how we can bring biodiversity with profitability. That's been a very challenging conversation, but an extremely enjoyable conversation to have. One of the other discussions that we heard during the group was about peat and peatland restoration. And you've, you've talked there about profitability and we talked about trees and agroforestry and ecologically how everything comes together. What was your real take homes from the conversation that we heard around peat and trees and, and everything that we need to do to enhance our landscape? Peatland restoration is critical. And I must say it's a very, very interesting um, contribution for the Ingleby of Caledonian climate. Incidentally, just while I mention it, the it balanced very well contribution by Harry Frew of Chibit Trees in relation to needing peat for horticultural needs. But the, the issue with peatland, it's it is an iconic Scottish ecosystem, habitat actually, and we need to protect it from that point of view. But also we know about its carbon storing capacity. And so we need to protect peatland because we absolutely have to keep a cap and restore peatland to absorb more carbon. But I suppose a very interesting take from that afternoon too was the issue of natural capital and financial return from natural capital. And while it's relatively, it is, and I say relatively in a very qualified sense, easier for peat and the peatland code, I came away thinking it's going to be very, very difficult to realise capital on farms until we improve the monitoring methods for biodiversity gain and increase. Um, But very interesting. And and it also came home to me with that discussion, but also with the general discussion, not least the need to change our views on waste, wasteless. And that goes as much for the farming industry, the food industries as for the horticultural industry, but also change our perceptions of what quality is and what productivity is. So a quality product depends entirely on ingredients which could be very extractive in terms of environmental resources. So the whole wonky veg campaign in supermarkets is the same thing. You know, we accept wonky veg. So maybe we, and Harry Frew actually mentioned this, when we buy trees 
from Harry through and other nurseries, we accept trees at different heights because they can't all be grown to the same height because there's a resource environmental cost to producing high quality. So I think we need to change our view on what high quality is and what productivity is. And it's no longer yields at all costs. It's actually being as resourceful as possible. And one of the lovely things about rural leaders is we get an opportunity to share our views, debate, discuss, and and quite often rural leaders are not afraid to come forward and, and share their views. We had some quite detailed discussions on carbon trading and profitability and whether or not you can make regenerative organic farming work. Obviously, you are making it work, but what was sort of the feedback you gave to everybody in terms of making it become a profitable business? The key is low input. Reduce inputs, reduce agrochemicals, and you get an immediate biodiversity response. No more so than in the soil. So soil management, reduce agrochemicals, reduce inputs. And you know if you can, I mean, I know not all farms can fatten only on grass. Peelum is between 200 and 700 feet. I mean, though it's not Berkshire Merce, it's certainly not an upland farm. So we can fatten. Farming regeneratively is definitely possible, but in terms of profit margin strength, so you improve your profit margin by reducing costs, that's the very big issue. There's no such thing as a silver bullet. So um, to make what we do more profitable, and it needs to be more profitable, we definitely need to improve our profit margin. We've got a ways to go yet, is working on changing our enterprises. So we've changed from We had mixed enterprises, breeding pigs, sheep and cattle, to primarily cattle, focusing very much on genetics. So the correct genetics for grass-fed only with our Aberdeen Angus. So that's what Angus, our son, is very focused on. And then the different grassland management. So the combination, particularly genetics and grassland management, has actually improved our grassland productivity. And because it's improved our grassland productivity, that helps profitability. We've also cut back on tractor use, fuel use. A similar farm of our size, 650 acres, that was being farmed in a standard edge-to-edge way with an agrochemical input would be costing £100,000 more per year. So we're effectively saving £100,000 a year based on current fertiliser and agrochemical costs because we are a low-input, low-impact farm. One thing that really amazed me when I came away was how much you knew all your figures and you knew all the detail and, and every farm business is, is looking at that more closely. But you're also very community spirited in, in bringing people with you and the events. Why did you want to host the rural leaders and why did you want to have them on farm? Well, I suppose um, having been you know, on a rural leadership course, I mean, I've just always loved the whole rural leadership principle. I did notice in the corner of my eye that of the rural leadership um, newsletters there was very sparse mention of climate and biodiversity and obviously they are a very key driver for me as a businesswoman and as as like someone active in our community and I thought oh well maybe rural leaders should look at this so when I emailed you I don't know if it was you or Jane turned around and said well actually you host it (laughs) so so I thought yeah okay we would so having rural leaders here it, it help teaches us a lot as a as a farming sort of business partnership hosting and having people on the farm so it's it's a pleasure having the, the social element of people on the farm having the blether about these very important issues and bringing different views onto the farm but i suppose primarily we're, we're kind of sociable people we're, we're sociable animals 
Oh, it was a brilliant day, Denise. And um, what is it about the Royal Leisure Programme that makes you smile as you do when you talk about it? <laughs> well, in uh, 2007 was when I did it. And I think that was the first kind of public one. The year 2006, Julia and Julian and the Scottish Enterprise did it to test it out. So effectively, we were the first, you know, the other rural leaders at that were the first tranche going through it. And it was complete eye-opener. In those very intensive, I think, I forget, was it five days, which included, it was Scottish Parliament, it was Westminster, it was Brussels. We had absolutely up-to-date information on rural population markets, not least the discussion between ourselves, bringing other kind of rural policymakers, NFUS, RSPB, into the discussion was all just mind-blowing. And then, of course, um, it's not called emotional intelligence anymore, but having coaching, mindfulness coaching as well, was the balance that made the difference. That was really important. And learning how to understand behavior, especially in communication, that was brilliant. I think I just about remember every single day on that rural issue with a very, very clear memory and the discussions and the faces. And you've stayed so involved in the alumni and activities as well. Uh, are you still gain? You, you're obviously still gaining and benefiting from the, the Royal Leadership Network. Oh, absolutely. And I'm in persuading Angus, our son, to do it. You know, I suppose it's a testament to how much I valued it. And he valued his experience. I think he did it in 2019, I think, or 2018, uh, very much. So, yeah, all, you know, recommend it completely. So what's next, Denise? What have you got next on your um, busy agenda? What's coming up at Peelham or in, in your world? So Peelham-wise, we are looking at, in terms of, the, the, the if you like, the farm programme, we've just got, I think, four cut more cows to calve. We've got to sort of kickstart phase two of an itch restoration fund, hedgerow restoration and creation programme. I need to start doing that within the next two or three weeks. And also, obviously, butchery and charcuterie. We're sort of constantly looking at product promotion, new new customers for our products. We've got the Break Food Festival coming up in September, but more immediately with my NFFN Niche Farming Friendly Network hat. June the 14th, everybody, we've got our Rethink Food, the Value of Diversity at the Scottish Storytelling Centre in Canongate. Um, so that should be really, really interesting. We've got some very interesting speakers to that. And then, of course, there's Groundswell. I'm doing something for PFLA, Groundswell, um, with NFFN, something at the Game Fair on regenerative agriculture. And then there's Go Falkland, uh, which is the Scottish Groundswell. And I'm sharing a panel there. So quite busy, both in the business and with agroecological advocacy, just promoting the benefits to our industry of a more agroecological approach, the way we farm in order to address biodiversity and climate change. And do you then get some time off and a bit of a holiday? We've got a trip. Chris and myself have got a trip down south. I mean, though it's NFFN as well, we're going to latch on a couple of days. And then I've somewhere got planned a visit to um, Dublin to see my sisters, which is always really good fun. And we try and meet up as much as we can and just have lots of sister blether with glasses of wine and it's always very pleasant so yes I try and I do try and fit in uh, peace and rest every day 
and I'm a strong believer in mindfulness and meditation. So I have a period of meditation when I start my day. And that's, that's, if you like, that's the quality time that I have in each day. Don't leave it to your holidays to find quality time because you won't get it. You've got to build quality time. And even if it's half an hour, mindfulness into your day. And that's really important for everybody. Oh, it sounds lovely. And it's been a joy as it always is to chat to you. So thank you ever so much for all of your time. Yeah, and thank welcome. you for hosting us. Rebecca, thanks very much. To keep in touch with the Scottish Enterprise Rural Leadership alumni, interviews and insights, sign up to the Rural Anchor Group on LinkedIn and keep up to speed with news via our monthly newsletter. Thanks for listening. Thank you.